0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Well, Well. This is Jarell.
1: I'm Rachel. Glad you all could join us again.
0: Welcome Today, back, everybody. Yeah,
1: yeah welcome back. Today <laughs> I'm very excited because we are actually here with one of my favorite podcasters ever. Actually, I want to say maybe the third podcast that I've ever listened to. I was very slow on the podcast train, which is ironic <laughs> now that I am doing a podcast, but I was very slow. Um, so, Allie Feller is here today. She is a runner, a mom of a very cute nine month old, a dog mom of a very cute fur baby who is really very small. So, it's weird to call her a baby. But she's also a freelance writer, editor. She's the host of one of my favorites, the Allie on the Run Show podcast. And I think that's
2: it. Did I catch everything, Allie? No, I just want you to keep going. Keep calling <laughs> things food and keep complimenting yes. me. I'll, I'll stay here all day. Right. <laughs> what, else, what else could we get on you, there? Um, you got it all. You got all the basics. You got all the cute people and animals in my life. Uh, yeah, I live in New Jersey with my family, my husband, our our baby, and our dog. And and you got the the writer, editor, runner, Ally on the Run show. You nailed it.
1: Awesome. I I practiced a little bit, so I tried to do that very well. Um, Your intros on the podcast are always really good, so, you know, I had to, like, breathe.
2: (laughs) Pressure's on. Well, now I just need to find out who the first and second podcasts you started listening to were. I mean, I came in at third, which is pretty good, but... I got to find out who were one and two. Mm -hmm. You actually
1: might have been second. I want to say you were second. The first one I ever listened to was The Human Race. Oh,
2: yeah. That's a good one. Which Mm
1: -hmm. I don't even know why, but I found that. I'm like, oh, hey, podcasts are cool. Yeah.
0: So so wait, you never got into Serial? We never talked about this.
2: Oh, no. I haven't either. I've never listened to Serial. The first season
0: was incredible.
2: So So. maybe Rachel and I need to have like a book club, only it's a podcast (laughs) club, and we do that, and I don't know where we go from there, but we'll have snacks. Right. It's just a good place to start. We'll listen, and
1: we'll eat, and it'll be fine. That sounds like a great time. I'm in. (laughs) So the reason we wanted to have Ali on, other than, you know, being awesome, and just to, you know, talk about my favorite podcast, which is hers, is you are also someone who manages Crohn's disease. And I will say that I'm, it is a little self-serving because while I thankfully do not have Crohn's disease because it sounds terrible, I am someone who manages chronic pain and I feel like I've resonated a lot with your stories about managing a chronic illness and some of the pitfalls and triumphs, but also just a lot of, pun intended, a little bit, crap that you have to go through on a regular basis. And so we wanted to talk about both the you know, fuzzy inspirational side that I think you see in a lot of articles that come out of like, I manage this illness, but I'm still able to, you know, set the world on fire and I run marathons and I do all of these things, which is great and true. And I love those articles, but I feel like there's another side that we don't talk about enough. So why don't you just start with sharing a little bit about like what Crohn's is for people who don't know and what your history with it has been up until the present day.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I will I will do my best to condense that history. I was diagnosed when I was seven. So I have had this disease since the early nineties. So if you're doing math, I'm 34 years old now. So I have essentially lived with Crohn's disease for the, my entire life that I can remember. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, disease has presented itself in a very different way in those multiple decades that I've had it. So when I was little and, and really, you know, you talk about managing this disease, but when I was younger, it was my parents managing it, right? Like I was seven. I didn't, I had no idea what was going on. So I was really just doing what my parents and doctors were helping me navigate, which at the time I would get a flare and Crohn's disease is an inflammatory bowel disease. I could go into the nitty and the gritty. You know, I'm basically a doctor at this point. Um, <laughs> I watch Grey's Anatomy and I have a chronic illness. Like, I'm know. qualified, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without getting too medically, the way that Crohn's disease presents itself in me when I'm flaring is that I am running for the bathroom with painful diarrhea that has blood in it mm-hmm. unpredictably and pretty constantly. So... I know what you're thinking, like, oh my God, Allie, you're so sexy. And that's true. (laughs) I am. Uh, I I always (laughs) hoped my legacy would be going on podcasts and talking about bloody urgent bathroom matters. Uh, Here we are, I mean, living that dream. But um, when I was younger, it was really confusing to me. I was just like this tiny little kid who, you know, I'd gotten down to like 34 pounds when I was seven. I had lost so much weight because I was so sick. And the doctors, it took a long time to get diagnosed because again, this was the early nineties and no one really knew what to do with me. And I had to go to the, the fancy hospital. I grew up in New Hampshire and I got sent to Dartmouth hospital, which is like a big deal. Uh, I know. Wow. Yeah. Is right. Um,
1: hospital. That's basically like you're a genius of illness, right? I, that works.
2: I have so many honorary degrees that I've given myself at this point. Yes. And so they sent me to Dartmouth. I get diagnosed with Crohn's no one knows what that means. They gave us like a pamphlet from the Crohn's and colitis foundation. And they, that was like, that was our lifeline for years because there was no internet then. So it was waiting for that monthly newsletter in the mail from the Crohn's and colitis foundation to say like, here's the latest studies being done and here's how other people are managing this disease. It was like a little four page pamphlet that we, I just remember looking forward to it and Mm -hmm. So when I was younger, I mean, I got flares not very often. Like I would go years being totally healthy. And that's the thing about Crohn's is it's chronic. There's no cure. But when I'm not flaring, I'm pretty much fine. I mean, I'm still in the bathroom more than most people. Mm -hmm. I'm still more aware of my stomach probably than most people. And I still know the location of every restroom, no matter where I am, no matter the state of my health. I have like an insane radar for being able to find restrooms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, very, very skilled at that. I am a good friend to have on the run because runners mm-hmm. always need a bathroom. So people joke that they love running with me. Cause I'm always like, okay, so this bathroom in central park, it doesn't open till 5am, but sometimes Sharon, she works this area. Sometimes Sharon comes early. She'll let you use the men's room. Like I know every little, uh, detail, very proud of that. Um, It wasn't until I got older and went away to college that the disease started getting a bit more serious for me, that the flares started getting longer, they started popping up more frequently, and the one thing that stayed the same is they were always really unpredictable. And this is still true today. I never know how long a flare is going to last. I am flaring right now, which is not fun. And I have no idea if I will feel better by midsummer. Well, I guess it's already midsummer, but I might feel better by the end of summer, or I might feel better by the end of summer in 2021. Mm-hmm. So. I have had flares that have lasted a couple of weeks and I've had ones that have lasted two years. So the unpredictability, and I'm sure you can relate to this with chronic pain is that you never really know. And I've been on, people are always asking about my medications and my diet. Have you gone gluten free? Have you right. tried this? Have you done the SCD diet? Like, yes, I have. Um, and some things work and some don't, but this really is such a personal and individualized disease that, uh, you know, I've been on medications. I was on one that worked for me and was my miracle drug for years. And then I built up antibodies to it. So that was like a soul crushing blow to find out like, Oh, I know this has kept you healthy and in remission, but it doesn't work for you anymore. We have to go start from scratch. So yeah, so it's, it's a tricky disease. Um, I do believe it's an auto, so it's an autoimmune disease, which means I definitely believe that stress plays a role. And so, in looking at my pattern of when I've had my worst flares, it's been around times of high stress. When I studied abroad and was somewhere new in college. When I um, actually, when I first went away to college. When I got my first job. When I got promoted to my dream job. That was my worst flare, uh, when I trained for my first marathon. So it's, it's physical stress. It's emotional stress. It's basically like I make big dreams and plans and Crohn's kind of laughs in my face and I laugh back and we hate each other and we figure out ways to try and make it work. So, uh, that is a long winded answer to say that, uh, it's funny that you, you said a couple times, you mentioned the phrase managing my disease. And it's so funny because I always just think I'm mismanaging it. And so it almost feels <laughs> like a compliment to talk about how I manage this disease because I, you know, it's a roller coaster. And I think um, I'm getting better at the emotional side of it, which has been the hardest part for me in the past. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that more. But uh, now I'm. I, I have a daughter to take care of. I can't sit around and wallow all day. And, uh, she just comes to the bathroom with me a lot. So that's kind of where we're at. It's not ideal, but it's chronic and it's not going anywhere. And I can't live in denial that someday this disease will cure itself. And so it is up to me to try to manage it and, and do the best I can.
1: Yeah. It's really funny when you said that stress makes it worse. My first thought was like, huh, that's, ironic because you know it's stressful having to run to the bathroom every five seconds
2: (laughs) oh and not being able to get your medicine so right now my medicine that I need is being held in I call it uh, pharmaceutical purgatory because Um, it's like I can't get the prior authorization from the doctor's (laughs) office because they won't return the faxes and the insurance company won't process the order until they get that and the pharmacy won't schedule delivery until they have those two steps and I, meanwhile I'm like I'm flaring I was supposed to have this medicine a week and a half. Ago, uh, and everyone's like, "Oh, well, d- well, well, you know, stress makes it worse." And I'm like, "I'm stressed because I'm trying to take care of myself." Right? Right. Like, no, hello. Listen,
1: we could do a whole nother conversation. Yeah, that. I was. My insurance company tried to deny my injections that basically keep my knees moving because I was four days early.
2: Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what I get too. Oh, sorry. We can't do it today. It has to be tomorrow. And I'm like, well, tomorrow is Sunday. You're not going to answer your phone. I need this Monday. Sorry. They also called to tell me that
1: the morning, or called the doctor's office to tell them that the morning of my appointment.
2: Oh my God. It's so bad. I've had that happen too. And, and it's just, this is something that's really been frustrating me this week as I've tried to deal with this is that it's almost as if like, we know the healthcare system is broken, right? We, we hear that every day. It's too big to fix, but My issue that I'm finding right now is it's almost like everyone involved has forgotten how to be human. Everyone from the front desk at my doctor's office, the gatekeepers, to the insurance people, to the people at the pharmacy, it's like everyone is punching the clock and no one, it just feels like no one cares and no one wants to think critically and say, okay, I know that I'm only supposed to communicate via facts. I know that's protocol, but you know what? This girl is really sick she needs help. And you know what? She's on the phone with me asking for help. And she's hysterical crying and a little scary. Maybe just this once, instead of sending the facts that my boss says I have to send, maybe I could be the person to help her today. And I can use my cell phone and I can call the doctor's office. Like there's none of that. There's no patient care and there's no, it's so hard. And, and like you said, it's so hard to have a chronic illness, chronic pain, whatever you're dealing with, and to just face so many barriers along the way. There is already so much stress, so much physical and emotional pain that takes such a toll to have all these additional barriers set up. It's just, you feel so powerless. Like right now I am so powerless because I know I'm just not getting this medicine until all nine people that I've talked to this week get on board and do their jobs. And I'm just the sick girl waiting that no one really seems to care about. So that was really a really uplifting part of this conversation. I think, um, I feel like I should insert a joke, uh, to just lighten it up a little bit, but it it's hard. That's, you know, like you said, it's not all these inspirational Instagram moments where it's like, it's magical. It's There's a lot of BS we have to deal with along the way that go far beyond our own pain and emotional well being.
1: Right. Well, and I think the joke in all of this is the fact that people are communicating by facts.
2: Well, I think you're right. right. I, I that, said that is. at one point. I snapped and I was like, it is like I start off so polite and I slowly start to get a little more firm, a little maybe more aggressive. Finally, this week, I was like, it, and I'll, I'll bleep out the F. Ep- F words I used on my end, <laughs> head, but basically I was like, "It is 2019. Why are you even sending faxes?" But it goes back to that's how it's always been done. That's what I was told. That's what my bo- my manager says we have to do. Like no one, they don't care. But yeah, who has a freaking fax machine? Come on.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and it's it's funny because that um this concept of just being one, I think healthcare like it's in the word, right? Health and care. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the industry and you're a provider or you're servicing people, like you need to be a human first. Right. And that's something that Rachel and I often talk about, you know, being providers and, and working with people and supervising people who work with clients and people, it's just generally, you definitely see how, people are having a really hard time opting in to the care part and just oh, yeah. being and being a human first as opposed to just being this like robot or person who's executing specific things but it's like being a human and talking to a person as if this might be someone in your family who's like hysterical because they don't have the meds they need how would you respond like how would you try and soothe this person that's calling you. If there was someone that you personally cared about, maybe you don't give them the full range of that because that would be kind of inappropriate, but maybe you give them some of that care so that they feel like a human and they feel like you do care about what's going on with them.
2: Exactly. Another thing I have to deal with all the time. That's along those same lines is that I get denied use of public restrooms all the time.
0: Mm. It is
2: part of the reason that when I'm flaring, I I become a shoe-in. I don't leave my apartment because Mm. going out in public is so stressful. I know what places have public restrooms. I know how many they have. I know if my stroller fits in there. I know what to expect at my regular places. But every now and then, like being in transit when I'm flaring is my nightmare. Being in traffic, being somewhere that I don't have an immediate access to a restroom is one of the most stressful parts of having this disease. And so I live in New Jersey. I'm right outside Manhattan. So where I am, I'm in Weehawken. I'm right next to Hoboken. Hoboken today is almost, you know, it's like a little mini Manhattan. And so it functions very similarly in that, yes, there are small businesses and lots of local cute shops, but there are also keypads on the Starbucks restrooms because you know whether it's to keep out the homeless population which I take major issue with yeah. they need restrooms too maybe again empathy right. uh we could let them use that and take care of themselves as best they can and and maybe we could be humans in that so right. anyway i i get denied public restroom use all the time and it's frustrating because in several states that is actually illegal now that as long as there is one employee working and they have an employee restroom, Uh, you have to let someone who asks, you have to let them use it. And that is a law that was passed by a young woman named Allie, not me. Um, I was gonna say, that's awesome. Yeah, no, 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 I don't have time for that or I'm not smart enough. Um, I'm a a doctor, not a lobbyist. Of course. Um, And so she had this, this young woman, Allie, her and her mom were shopping. She was in a department store and she asked to use the restroom. She was denied and she had an accident in the store and anyone, whether you have Crohn's ulcerative colitis, IBS, or you ate something gnarly for dinner last night and went for a run today. And that was aggressive of you. If you've had that experience, you know, that not only is it stressful and scary and traumatizing, it is mortifying. And so They passed this law, it's passed in, I don't have the most up-to-date stats, but I know that it's been passed in several states, including New Jersey, including New York, but most people don't know about it. Mm -hmm. And unless their manager has specifically told them that, people, it comes from the top and they're being told, no, no, you know, how many times have you walked up to a small pizza place where the sign on the door says no public restrooms? Mm -hmm. I see that and my heart skips a beat and I'm out of there. Like I can't even put myself in that situation because I, I know I might need one. And knowing that I might not have access to it, that already sets me off. And then it's all I can think about. And then I definitely need it. And then it's a mm-hmm. whole literal mess. And so that's an issue I'm having too, where people don't have empathy. And I was telling this story to someone the other day and about being denied i was in a starbucks and they wouldn't let me use the restroom for employees and i started crying (laughs) because i really needed it and had nowhere else to go and i'm telling someone this and she goes well i hope that starbucks girl i hope she poops her pants in public and i was like you know i don't like to wish ill on people but like i kind of do too like i kind of do hope that like you know that that happens to her and that maybe the next time and that's why I'm it, it comes back to awareness and that's why, you know, that's why we're having this conversation and it's why I tell these stories about poop. I don't want to, but I do know I got a message someone from someone, I don't remember email a DM, it was something and she was like, I work in retail. We are not supposed to let people use our restrooms. We're not supposed to let customers use our restrooms. And she was like, I've been following you and listening to your show. And I know what you go through. Someone came in recently and asked to use our restroom. She goes, and I let them. And I was just like, Oh my God. Like, even if I just changed that one and who knows, like maybe she was pregnant and had to pee. Maybe it was someone who had a bloody nose and needed to go deal with it. doesn't matter. The fact that that one woman, because of hearing what I've been through and hearing about how stressful it can be to be denied that she said, you know, screw what my manager told me. I'm a human and this person needs my help. And she gave them help. So if, if people are listening to this and they and they have access to restrooms i hope you let people use them and i and i mean that i think that the more people that know what these diseases are like no one wants to talk about it no one wants to say if you don't let me in i might poop my pants like i'm 34 years old i don't want to say that to you with a line of 16 people behind me waiting for their lattes all worked up cuz you're out of oat milk like right. just let me use your restroom so uh that's my that's my soapbox. It's all, very tall. All and I'm like,
1: true. On it. <laughs> like I'm like nodding like aggressively as you're talking because I'm thinking on such a basic level, like I have been places and I feel like you can relate to this as well as runners in the summer, especially. We tend to overhydrate. Maybe that's just me. But we drink a lot of water and I've been places, even just on a basic level of like, I am about to pee in my pants. Please let me use a bathroom. If somebody is coming up to you and
2: they're urgently asking for a restroom, there's probably a reason. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I say that all the time. I'm like, I'm not asking you because I think I, it's fun in there. Like, right. I don't want to see how you've decorated the place. <laughs> this is urgent. So, yeah, it's a it comes back to human Mm -hmm. humanity and empathy for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think that's also, you know, something that you talked about of just the emotional side of that. Like, obviously, I don't I guess the logistical side of literally needing to find a bathroom is stressful. You know, it's disruptive to what you're doing. But the stress of having to go through that and the stress of being like, I don't know, am I going to need a bathroom in the next two minutes, in the next two hours? What about when I'm at Starbucks, on the street, at home, doing whatever? It's the emotional side of it also. And I think, you know, like I said, this is a little bit selfish on my part because this is a conversation like I always want to have with people is that's almost sometimes harder Like not to say that the going to the bathroom and having blood in your poo, which my God sounds awful. (laughs) Like
2: I want to like give you a virtual hug and like (laughs) That that's terrible. No, but you're right. You're right. I, the physical part, especially since I've had this for so long, Mm -hmm. the physical stuff sucks. It is physically painful, but it's, it's everything else that you just said that is what makes it worse. 100%. So you don't even have to say like, not to downplay the physical, downplay the physical, the physical I can manage. Like I'm a strong woman. I can manage the the pain and the fevers and the night sweats and the, and the pooping. I can deal with that. It's, I wake up every day and and I've already done this for today. I look at my calendar, I look at what I have going on. How did we start this conversation before we were recording? It was me saying, "Hey guys, super excited to chat with you. Glad we're making it happen. I might need a bathroom break." Like everything I do in life comes with that little asterisk. I later today, I'm taking my daughter to swim lessons, and I've already told the girl whose apartment it's at, I already said like, "Hey, just so you know, like I might need to jump out and use the bathroom." So it's also like the fact that I have to tell people I might need the bathroom, like that's a little annoying and embarrassing. I've known her for like six days and I'm already Mm -hmm. leading with that. So, you know, that I don't care as much about because I have a big mouth. It's fine. I don't, I'm not embarrassed by it. It's more just that it is, it is this constant thought on my mind and it is exhausting.
1: Yeah. There was something that, There was definitely a moment, I can't even remember which podcast episode of yours it was. It must have been when you were talking about something Crohn's related, or maybe just threw it in there. And I can remember exactly where I was on the, you'll know, on the second of the three sister hills in Central Park. Yeah. When I Oh, you're
2: not near a bathroom there. The second- There is not a bathroom there. You're kind of near the tennis courts. The tennis courts are your closest because you're between tennis courts and Shakespeare in the park
1: that is beyond accurate. And that's kind of amazing (laughs) because you don't live nearby Central Park. And so I thought I was the only crazy person that knew that.
2: Oh, no, I, I, well, I lived on the Upper East Side for many, many years. So I know the Central Park bathrooms, like the back of my hand. And as soon as you say, I'm like, okay, West Side. So you've got tennis courts. You've got that. You've got, if you're further down, you've got Tavern on the Green, but ooh, the hours there, that's all the tourists. It's like,
1: yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I was, I remember I was there because it was such an impactful thing where you had said, If you could know when it started, when a flare started, how long it was going to last for, like, okay, this is two weeks, this is three days, this is a year, you will mentally prepare yourself and get through it, Mm -hmm. but you don't know. And that's sometimes one of the more stressful things. And like, I remember, like I cried because that is something for me personally with chronic pain that has always been one of my most frustrating things. It's like, okay, cool. This is coming up again. I don't know when it's going to stop. Mm hmm. And so and I think that also and, you know, I Jarrell has kind of a firsthand experience in managing someone with this, mm-hmm. um, because he's the person who's very nice and says, when I say, you know, I can't sit in that chair, he just says, okay. But I think that it's that that for you, but then that also for the people around you. And I think it's not in the sense of like, oh, you know, the people around you are terrible, and they don't want to help you. But it's like, but no, it's a collectively stressful situation. So I would imagine that that plays really a big factor in your family life and with friends with work. So what is that like when you're flaring? And then also, I guess, in between when you don't know when a flare is going to come on?
2: Yeah, I mean you're exactly right with that. I would say as for the in between, I don't think about it. I don't say when will I be sick again. I I'm very I'm healthy now and I live in it and I appreciate it. So I am pretty good about that. Uh, but you're exactly right that I don't know how long a flare is going to last. I I find that to be the hardest part. Right now I have this whole list of things that I want to do this fall, this winter. Next spring. And they're like, you know, my husband and I talked about going on a trip for our anniversary and I'm like, well, I'm not going to book flights right now. Like that would be silly because that's in September and, and it's not a negative way of thinking. It's very much a, a realistic way of thinking. Um, so yeah, that is super hard. And and I've had a hard time with my friendships with that. Um, I've been called flaky for canceling on things. Uh, I can think of one friend that I am not friends with anymore because I we were supposed to have a dinner party that we were hosting and I canceled. I was like, hey, I'm so sorry. Like I am not up for this. And I didn't immediately offer to reschedule. And she was so offended by that, that we are no longer friends. And wow. that, there's obviously more to that. Sure. sure. But but yeah, like I, I get called flaky and people get mad that I don't, um, you know, that I don't always go to things and it's like, and then I don't get invited anymore, which kind of sucks, but I'm like, I want to be invited. I just, am going to say no. Uh, so it is hard. And, you know, and I get that it's frustrating for the people in my life too, that no matter how much I explain myself, if you haven't lived this, it's hard to understand. And people will say like, Oh, well I have a bathroom at my apartment. And I'm like, right. But you invited 15 people and it's a one bedroom, which means there's only one bathroom. And if, you know, and if Mariah is in there and I need it right that second, I'm going to have to poop in a garbage can. And I don't want to do that again this week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so it's hard. It's hard to, um, even as open as I am, I think, unless you've been through it or really firsthand witnessed someone who has it's a hard thing to explain and to expect empathy for. I don't expect people to understand exactly what I go through and exactly what limits me. Um, I just have to, you know, that's my responsibility to, to be vocal about what's going on. And if I can help be that voice for other people, I'm happy to do so. Not everyone is comfortable talking about this disease and, People ask, like, what's your advice for someone living with Crohn's and colitis? And I'm like, well, first, don't ask me. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, But my advice is always I know you don't want to talk about it, but the more you do, the easier your life will be. The more people who know you have this, who know you might be struggling, who can be a second set of eyes looking for bathrooms for you, have those people in your corner. And hold on, I need to take a break. I'm so sorry. Two seconds. Hi, I'm back. So sorry. Welcome back. That's my life right there. That is, that's my life.
1: I was going to say, like, not even, not even an issue at all. Yeah,
2: yeah, I don't, I don't skip a beat and it's nice. I'm in my apartment, just ran, did what I needed to do and I'm back. And I remember what we were talking about, but I was good. I I made it to the end of my point. So,
0: okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I wanted to jump in with something that I, I was really struck by, um, you know, both of you sharing your experiences with like managing a chronic condition. And I often think about this in my work with clients and we're, you know, talking about mental health too. But, and I'm also reading Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. So there's also that sort of angle that's making me think about this a lot more sort of uh, acutely is that it? having this kind of thing that you're carrying with you that you have to manage regularly, um, it requires so much vulnerability. And I'm just thinking about, you know, how the average person really struggles with that, right? Really struggles with saying like how we feel, what's going on with us and what we need. And it's like, I can see how in some ways dealing with a chronic condition is... A bit of a blessing because then you really develop that muscle to be vulnerable. Right? You have to say, "Where is the bathroom?" or "I need to sit here." But on the other hand, it's like that really requires you to be vulnerable in ways that you know a lot of people aren't, and that I think that that also can take away from you, right? Like it can take away from uh, from your your strength in some ways because you never know. What's going to happen? You don't know if you're going to be rejected for a bathroom. You don't know if someone is going to refuse to make uh, like a reasonable accommodation for whatever like you're dealing with. And I was just thinking about like how hard that part must be sometimes, too.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, of course, can only speak to my experience, but the first thing that comes to mind for me is actually, I think that that's where social media can really help. And I think that a big, you know, social media has hit, has its great, great parts of it. And it's damaging ones, which I also think we should talk about. But, uh, one of the nice things is it is a way to see that you're not alone and whatever that looks like for you. And I know that with the Crohn's and colitis, you know, with the IBD community, there are so many people today who are very bravely sharing what they go through and it looks different for everyone. And it's, it's talking about poop, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and again, this is specific to what I have to deal with, but No one wants to be that person. Like, I don't think any of us were born and said, like, when I grow up, I want to be an advocate for pooping at Starbucks, (laughs) like for sure was not writing that in my like letter Mm -hmm. to my future self. But now that I am here and I see that it can have an impact that I know sticks with me. And, and it's been helpful for me in return to know that like, anytime someone responds to something I say, and is like, that happened to me. That is like a reaffirming pat on the back that says, okay, A, it's important to keep talking about this. And B, I helped someone else who will go on to help someone else. And it creates this ripple effect that I think encourages that vulnerability you were talking about. And I think reminds people that whatever you have, whether it is pain, whether it is an illness, whether it is some kind of addiction, whatever you're dealing with, A, you're not the only one dealing with it. And B, it's not something to be ashamed of that, whether this is something that is temporary, whether it's something you were born into came later in life, it doesn't matter. Someone else, probably hundreds, thousands, millions of other people are going through it in some capacity. And there's a really kind of magical way today that we can build these communities. When it was 1992 and I was seven and no one in my family knew what Crohn's disease was or where to find more information beyond my pediatric gastroenterologist, who I saw what, like every six months, we didn't have that community. And it was really hard, not just for me, but for I think my parents who had nowhere to turn now i think most people can either say yes i know what crohn's is yes i've heard of ulcerative colitis yes i know someone with those diseases yeah i'm kind of familiar with with what they are so i think that in terms of helping curb that that fear of speaking up for yourself it's leaning into helping spread awareness yes. even if it's a little uncomfortable like you said that mm-hmm. i mean that is what vulnerability is and um you know, and, and I'm here for you, for anyone that ever wants to talk or, or listen or share. Um, You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who will put themselves out there for you. And, and it's important to find those people.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good point is that, you know, we talk about, and so this is a little bit of the warm, fuzzy, inspirational stuff that, you know, we started by saying, we only share this, but a <laughs> little bit of that, is that there are people who don't suck, you know, that are not the people who are going to look at you in Starbucks and be like, no, you can't use a bathroom, which is, I just can't get over. Didn't they
2: pass something? Yes. Everybody has yeah. to use the
1: bathroom in Starbucks. Yeah, they did you know, it's a last
2: year. Thing. But again, it, it comes from the top. If yeah. that You know, like, and that's why I didn't really get mad at her. Everyone was like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, she sucks. She's a bitch, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't think she is. I just think that whoever her boss is, whoever is in charge there, her shift manager, I think whoever, and maybe that was her. I don't know. But my (laughs) inclination just kind of based on the vibe was someone told her that that is what she was to say mm-hmm. and she's following the rules and i you know i it's hard to tell ask someone to be the person to break the rules and what risk her job i don't think that would happen but like it's a tricky place to be in
1: right for sure and i think that's you know definitely the harder part of it but there are obviously also people who we will see the despair in your face and say, of course you can use a bathroom or the people who you can go to and talk to and get support from when people don't let you use a bathroom or really with anything. It's like the people who you can confide in and get support from. And because, you know, like you said, when you mentioned that not only was there not a place for you to go to get support, but for your parents to go to get support, we don't live in a bubble. Most of us So it doesn't just affect whatever we're going through. It doesn't just affect us. It affects the people around us as well. And that's hard. You know, those people need support. It's like a whole branch out of people that chronic illness or chronic anything affects on a regular basis. And it's a bunch of people who need someone to talk to sometimes. Oh, definitely. So what would you say? And I know we've talked about this, you know, a little bit in terms of people don't share enough of the hard stuff but what would you say is the big reason for that from your perspective you know you see all these articles and pieces and social media posts about you know hey look i triumphed over this i see people who are just have amazing stories they're runners with that have had amputations or ms or these you know horrible life circumstances that they overcame To finish, you know, five marathons in a day or something crazy like that. But we don't talk about the like, yes, that's happening. But also there's running to the bathroom. There's having accidents. There's having days where you don't want to get out of bed. So why do you think we don't talk about that?
2: Well, I think that we like to wait until there's a pretty bow to tie on it and say like, hey, like you said, you know, hey, I went through a hard time, but wow, look at me now kind of thing that it's like, we talk about it. We don't talk about the hard race in the middle of it. We talk about it when we're on the victory lap kind of thing. Um, I think that in the case of something like Crohn's disease, which of course is all I can really speak to. I think that it comes back to it being a really unsexy disease Mm -hmm. that I don't think anyone wants to talk about. Like, Why would you want to talk about the time you pooped your pants in public? Unless you have to be a really confident person to be willing to put that out there. You have to really not worry about people thinking you're gross. You have to not worry about people thinking like, oh, I used to think she was cute, but she pooped her pants. That's gross. And in all honesty, like this is a conversation I've had to have with my husband Mm -hmm. where, I mean, since very early in our relationship was like, Hey, I want you to see me as this like beautiful, sexy woman. I have a disease that makes me poop a lot. Like, is that going to change how you see me? And I think that it would be delusional for either of us to say like, no, not at all. Let's be honest. We lived in a one bedroom for apartment a, a one-bedroom apartment for a while he could hear what was happening no matter how many faucets and showers I turned on to disguise it though he then told me he's like yeah that kind of just made it more obvious what you were actually doing um but good effort like and and he's amazing when it comes to this stuff and it always has been but it's something that I've had to talk to him about in saying like this is something I worry about I don't want you to see me as like the gross sick girl who poops her pants and I actually have an easier time talking about this stuff to faceless people on the internet than I do my loved ones. And uh, I've had, you know, I've had friends and family members say, "Like, dude, I had to find out you were flaring from Instagram." And I'm like, "I know," and I'm sorry, because if I tell my mom I'm flaring, she's gonna worry. Mm-hmm. If I put it on Instagram it's kind of a way, you know, it's almost like journaling. It's a way I can kind of get my thoughts out there without anyone really losing sleep over it. Like no one who follows me is like, I can't sleep tonight, I'm so worried about Allie. Like they're good, they care and it's amazing, but like it's not really um I don't think it's really stressing anyone out, but with my with my really people who are in my immediate circle, I don't want to put that burden on them. All of this to say that I think um, I think that with with IBD, it's hard to share because it's really, it's yucky and it's messy. I also think that we're in a time, particularly with Instagram, where everyone wants their viral moment, um, which I would caution against. I think the idea of going viral is very scary. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. But I think that like, It used to be like, you know, people got praised for being authentic and for keeping it real. And now there's a lot of really carefully crafted keeping it real moments. Mm -hmm. of like, here's me hunched over. Look, I have cellulite too. And I'm like, you're you're folded in half. Like, of course we all do, you know? And a lot of like, and then they tag like 45 media outlets. Like, no wonder GMA picked up your story. You told them to kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. so I think that it's, It's that line between can you be honest and authentic and vulnerable or is it like a crafted narrative that's either like, here's how I tied it up or I don't really know. I think that (laughs) I should leave that to a psychologist to uh, try to analyze. I just know that the more that we talk about what we're going through, even if it's hard, even if it's uncomfortable... I promise it gets easier and better because nothing is as helpful as awareness. I, ha- no medicine has done for me what sharing my story has, which is a really powerful thing. And just to be able to connect with other people. And so, yeah, I know I went, I, I went way on the tangents there, but I, if, if people listening take anything from this, I want it to be that sharing your story has a huge impact, even if you don't think it does, even if you think like, oh, well, everyone has what I have or no one has it. I'm alone. So why bother? Like neither of those are ever the case.
1: Yeah. I think what you said is totally true and that I've been rolling my eyes at various social media posts where like you said, it's the perfect perfectly curated authentic moment. Mm -hmm. Yes, I appreciate you sharing, but you did it in a way that is still tied up nicely in a bow. Yeah. And so not that people need to share the darkest moments of their life on social media all the time or ever, but just the idea of that if you're going to share Let's just be real about the whole experience. Exactly. not just like, oh, you know, I accept my body for what it is and don't I feel great. It's like, I promise you didn't wake up one morning with this like renewed sense of (laughs) self acceptance and purpose and all of these like fancy buzzwords that people find inspirational. Like that didn't happen. So what was your process? Because if you're not going to share the stuff that's real, like I don't understand why you're sharing at all.
2: Yeah. And, and some days are going to be those magical days. And some days are going to be really bad. Like this week I had such a, I had a really, really hard day on Tuesday. Like Crohn's wise, it was, it was one of those really low days. And I spent a lot of it in bed. Thank God for childcare. And, and it was a really hard day. And then, and I shared that. And then yesterday I woke up and I was like, all motivated and renewed. And I'm, I'm still just as sick as I was the day before, but I had a better day. And, you know, and I didn't share that because I was like, people are going to think I'm nuts if I'm like one day, oh, it's the worst day ever. The next day, hey, everyone sun's out. Like, you know, and I know I shouldn't care, but um, I think there's a lot to be said for, um, I always say reader responsibility of just really curating what you choose to follow and knowing that you're never seeing everything. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I share a lot. It's still not everything. And so just knowing that whether it's what you're putting out there or what you're following, that it's never going to be the full story, no matter how much someone shares or overshares, it's never all of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. When looking back on the published like inspirational pieces of remembering that too and I'm very big on reader responsibility as well like you need to you know know where your news or information is coming from but to know that it's you know an edited piece whether it's social media whether it's something you read in a magazine like it's edited and that there's stuff that goes on behind the scenes that isn't necessarily shared and I think it's important to remember because sometimes it makes it seem as if like oh look like you know this person's battling this and look how great they're doing it and I have something that feels less awful and I can't even get out of bed where it's like no we all have the days where we can't get out of bed
2: yep and it's easy to go into that comparison trap it is so important to learn how to fight that
1: yeah no and that's I think the definite downside of social media and when you feel yourself kind of getting into that mode it's time to sign off and exactly anymore I feel like I just use like an AOL phrase
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah no sign off unfollow unsubscribe Mm -hmm. power down I think all of these things namaste like it's all good all those words
1: no I agree um yeah and I mean and I think kind of to wrap it up what do you wish people New, and I know you've talked about this before, you know, throughout this entire conversation, but what would be one thing that you wish people knew about either Crohn's or chronic illness in general, that would be your big kind of closing takeaway message from all of this?
2: Oh, it's not poetic and it's not glamorous, but it's that we need the bathroom it's and, and and that doesn't mean <laughs> that doesn't mean the one down the street that doesn't mean like oh well sorry here at anthropology we can't let you use ours but they have one at ulta across the street cool so i'm going to poop in the street because i'm not making it to ulta uh, not that that exact scenario has ever happened to
0: me <laughs> fingers crossed
2: I, but it has, but it has, um, and the Ulta bathroom is awesome. They have like three of them. It's so nice. No one knows they're in there, so you have so much privacy. Um, screw you, Anthropology. I can't afford you anyway. <laughs> but no, I I mean that, and it's yeah. it's not a glamorous takeaway, and it's not inspiring. It's a plea, and it's a it's yeah. a call to action of, hey, we need allies, and if if you have a restroom and someone asks to use it, it's probably not for ill will. And I get that it might be. I just, I doubt it. In most cases, I, I believe in the good and I, I want everyone to, my other takeaway, and this isn't specific to Crohn's and colitis, is just lead with empathy and lead with kindness. And there are so many devices in place that claim to encourage connection, but really what they're doing is detracting from that. And I think it's important to remember that even with all these devices, even with all these hacks and shortcuts, we are all humans and we are all doing our best. And one person's best can elevate another person's best. So just be the good and lead with kindness and empathy. You never know what someone else is going through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can make an inspirational, pretty message out of the, we need the bathroom. If someone asks for a bathroom, give it to them. And the there bathroom is metaphorical. If somebody comes in desperately needing something from you, it's always a good idea to give it to them. You know?
2: Yeah. Maybe that'll be the title of, if I ever write a book, The Metaphorical Bathroom. I yeah. like that. I'll <laughs> give you the credit, but that's a good, that's a good title of something.
1: Give me a shout out, you know, <laughs> dedication page. You got it. Read that book for sure. Okay. Yay. So- Thank you so much, Allie, for joining us and sharing all of the intimate details of your bathroom struggles and just life in general. Um, You know, I know this wasn't supposed to be the warm, fuzzy, inspirational stuff, but I think your strength is definitely inspirational just by getting through the day. And you know what? Also by not punching the woman at Starbucks.
2: (laughs) No, I don't even know how to throw a
1: punch. Isn't that sad? So, (laughs) um... I'll I'll, t- I'll teach you just in case you ever need it. I took martial arts, so That's right. I'm thank you for violence. But you know, you never know if it's between pooping on the floor and you know punching somebody in the arm a
2: little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think they're going to happen simultaneously. Is the problem? <laughs> Unfortunately, there's there's not a way to stop the other one. So uh, might have to might have to master both. But mm-hmm. I appreciate you for having me on and letting me make my plea to the world for everyone to just. Be kind
0: yeah yeah and can, yeah and I also want to add so for everyone who's listening Allie obviously is a great writer and if you do want a little bit of warm and fuzzy which is so nice then I encourage you to go to her blog and read the story of how she met her husband oh. um it gave me all the warm and fuzzies and it was so adorable and it's, it's a really nice, but like unexpected kind of story. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a little gym for you all too.
2: (laughs) That is a good one. We're coming up (laughs) on, um, next week is eight years since we said, I love you for the first time. I remember every little anniversary, which is a very annoying trait because if other people don't remember them, I'm personally insulted. um, (laughs) So I'm like, Brian, I'm like, it's almost July 31st. Do you know what that is? And he's like, uh, Thursday. I'm no like, right.
1: no. <laughs> I'm uh, I too remember dates of everything, as Jarrell can attest mm-hmm.
0: to. <laughs> I was gonna say, Rachel, how do you feel about that?
1: And <laughs> I too am <I'm> often <laughs> met with people giving me blank stares of Having just no idea what I'm talking about, like we're all under the bus. Remember the time we go to the same event every single year, and my husband doesn't either. So apparently, it's just me and you. So I feel like
2: I now am with you. Thank you for that. Next year on July 26th, I'm going to be like, "Hey, hey, guys! It's our it's our podcast <laughs> yes. anniversary. Do you remember? Yeah. Does anyone want to commemorate it? I will remember. Jarell will not. So she's not. Perfect. Very yeah. very- <laughs> Damn it, Jarell. I'm sorry. <laughs> fine, it's fine.
1: And so, Ali, where can they find you if they want to hear your amazing podcast or more about Crohn's or your adorable daughter and dog? I'm going to emphasize.
2: I appreciate that. I do. Uh, I am. So I, my blog is Allie on the run. It's Allie on the run blog.com and Allie is just ALI the fewest letters possible. Uh, my podcast is called the Allie on the run show. It is on iTunes, Apple podcasts, anywhere you choose to listen to shows like this one where you're listening to us right now, Uh, Instagram and Twitter, Allie on the run one and Facebook, there's an Allie on the run Facebook page. So I am just oversaturating the world. I'm everywhere. It.
1: Love it, um, And you can find us at Viva Wellness NYC. And I am at Rachel Gersten.
0: And I'm at Jarrell Carabello.
1: And if you get a chance, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We love feedback, especially when people give us compliments. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for joining us and we will see you No, I did it again. I i uh, going see. but people on a podcast are going to see us. You got too to. comfortable. I'm just ready to be on TV apparently. <laughs> One day I'm going to I'm going to cut that off. But Jorel, you did it once too. So I thought I nice. did. On that note, have <laughs> a good rest of your day, everyone.
0: Bye.